Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Escafil Files, a book analysis podcast where one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about Animorphs, the children's book series by K.A. Applegate. I'm Danielle, I use Sheer They Pronouns, and you can find me on the internet at RedtailedHawk90. My co-host is Jade. Hello, I'm Jade. You can find me most places on the internet at jadeoxadrose, and I use they-them pronouns. We'll be making our way through the books, one book at a time, analyzing the themes and how they stand up to time, and sharing the experience of the friends on Discord, the link to which you can find in the show notes. Today, we're talking about number 48, The Return, uh, which was ghostwritten by Kimberly Morris, who also did book 38, The Arrival, and will do books 50 and 52. Um, it's... Uh, basically, the entire book is a dream sequence acid trip. Um, not entirely unlike 41, with slightly more emotional impact, personally, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, it's not great. It is definitely... There, there's a lot I, of chaff to sort through for, for any that, little that's, grains of wheat. That's a polite descriptor, <laughs> for sure. Uh, having read this and double-checked which one the arrival was and seeing who the POV characters are for 50 and 52 does not give me a lot of hope for 50 and 52, to be clear. Mm. 52 being an Axe perspective book like 38 and 50 being a Cassie perspective book. Um, I start to increasingly feel like Kimberly Morris has a touch of that I'm not like other girls energy mm. with the way some of the choices about how women are written or talked about mm. makes me a little bit uncomfy. Mm-hmm. Look, we all like to joke about, uh, what is it, uh, Gaslight gatekeep girl boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I just, there's just something about her choices. And I don't think they're necessarily coming from a bad place. Mm-hmm. That definitely feels like there's some peak white feminism. Yeah. In the writing. And I don't know anything about Kimberly Morris, but that's how the politics seem read to me. Mm-hmm. as we sort of go through these books um this one is frustrating for me in a couple of different ways like i think it was the last book mm-hmm. um if this had come earlier in the series i think mm-hmm. i'd have less problems with it yeah because you can have like weird out there arguably creative if not always well executed ideas um i think i could have enjoyed it more i think the the couple of beats in here that work are really strong and to to give the core premise Krayak trying to use get into Rachel's head to mm-hmm. use her against Jake is fantastic mm-hmm. super interesting using David super interesting I'm here as a person that while David in and of himself is written to be the worst I do find his role as antagonist and foil very good the Drode shows up in this book. You guys know how much I love the Drode. <laughs> love that little fuck. Um, so there are all these disparate elements that I think were it betterly, was it structured better? Was it executed better? And not the last time we get Rachel's POV in the series. Mm-hmm. I would feel more charitable towards it. Mm-hmm. But you can't extract it from its place in the Animorphs timeline, which when so much of it is revolving around Rachel's feelings around herself and how she feels viewed as the violent member of the group Mm -hmm. and what it means to do violence and be viewed as a person that can and will be violent. Mm -hmm. Which makes the ending of this book manages to both be deeply good and deeply frustrating because once again, the ending chickens out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't like 
when an ending doesn't have a con- the conviction of clearly what it's trying to go for because it just takes the wind out of it. Mm. Just like, oh, yeah, okay, you're onto something. This is cool. This is great. Oh, and mm, nope, and it's done. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, also felt a little bit like sympathizing David at the end, um, yeah. which is a choice. Yeah. Um, look, we've all been puppeted by Cryak, okay? It's a bad time. But, like, a lot of David's bad ideas in this are very much his own bad ideas. Mm-hmm. So... Because David sucks. Uh, David has also gone through pretty much hell when he Mm -hmm. shows up in this book. And I like that they address that. And I like that Rachel is fucked up about what happened with David. Mm -hmm. I like that that has ramifications for her. Mm -hmm. And the sort of, the way we leave her at the end of this book, and we'll get there when we get there, but... It's just putting a lot of weight behind my own percolating theories and predictions in a way that is not fun, even if it is validating. Mm. Um, Love to be proven right, except when it's upsetting. Um, And then I just have to be right and sad. It's not as good a combination (laughs) as it sounds. Um, But one thing this book does do really well, I will say to its credit, is showing child because when we think about like is it also like a young teen a teen as a teenager as well the anger that we feel as kids Mm -hmm. and like the fucking nightmare that is going through puberty and how everything gets dialed up Mm -hmm. and how out of control your emotions feel Mm -hmm. um this does feel like an actually a pretty good and also sympathetic in some places, depiction of what it's like to struggle with feeling this angry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. the story is not without merit, neither is the characterization, but the execution of this is so messy mm-hmm. that I can't help but just feel deeply frustrated by it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just wish it came. What was the Rachel book before this? Uh, 42. Which uh, was? Which, which was the Helmicron book where they go inside Marco. Okay, cool. Fucking A. <sighs> <laughs> the one before that was 37 where Jake was on vacation and Rachel stepped into the leader role for a little bit. Okay, well, maybe if we could jig those around a little bit, but either way, this just sucks for Rachel. Uh, for those of you who Rachel is uh, their favorite character, you are braver than any U.S. Marine, and I respect <laughs> you so much. Jesus fucking! And this is definitely one of these books that, up until that, really that final scene and maybe a couple of brief moments. One, I don't like how um, I'm going to use the word because that's a feel how stupid Rachel is written in this book. Mm-hmm. It feels very unjust. Like mm-hmm. panic is all well and good and none of us are at our best when in panic mode. But we don't get to see any of the sort of like the quick wit mm-hmm. and perceptiveness that we're used to seeing from her. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely why I can see a lot of people hold on to the theory about fucking starfish, Rachel. <laughs> Like, reading this book, I'm like, you know what? It'd be really fucking hard to argue with anyone who holds that belief with this book. (laughs) Like. Yep. But also, so little of the events of this book are happening in reality. Mm -hmm. So how much of this is being distorted by Rachel's own perception of herself and fears Mm -hmm. about herself? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the one of those entire... things that a psychologist would have a field day. Just oh, like, yeah. and why do you think you're capable of such things? Uh huh. Rachel, no name given. Yeah. Um, it's it very much has a strong dream logic. Mm. Uh, just the way that it's written the entire way through is very dream logic. And mm-hmm. so, so to spoil it, the way that that it goes is you have a nightmare that Rachel wakes up from 
that we, you know, until she wakes up, you almost think it's real, right? Because it's written straight. Um, And then another nightmare question mark? I personally think it was, like, replay of something that did happen kind of thing. Mm. Um, Waking up from a nightmare and then Krayak fuckery. <laughs> um, and it's very easy to think that this entire book kind of exists in a weird dream space that is facilitated by Krayak. Um, I think the ending hits better if it is just like altered reality. Um, in the way that we know that Krayak and Elemis can do. Yeah, I will give one shout out to this book and I that I particularly enjoyed. And I wonder if this was something from KA, because uh, Krayak describing himself as a manipulator of reality and not being a master of illusion mm-hmm. felt very cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, it also felt like a barefaced fucking lie. But in a way that's very like evil, evil bad guy kind of vibes. Uh huh. Uh huh. Like the notion of oh, I'm showing you what could be. Right. Krayak is kind of great in this book, by the way. Mm-hmm. I will say it's, that. It's. I think it's. It might be the only time we've heard him speak. Oh, interesting. Because I think um, every other time it's been the Drode. Uh, except for that first interaction, right, where Cryak spoke to Jake, like the very, very first one where Jake saw him, didn't Cryak speak in his head? I think so. Yeah. Either way, if nothing else, okay, there is a good exchange between Rachel and Cassie. There mm-hmm. is the ending, mm-hmm. um, and there are a couple of other minor beats. This book does have Cryak and Visithri interacting, <laughs> and if. Like me, you are a messy bitch who loves drama. <laughs> um, that's fun. It's stupid mm-hmm. and you wish it were better written, but it is kind of fun to see those two elements of this universe play against each other. Um, mm-hmm. But I just remembered my term that I came up with. Some books in this series are a hot mess. This is more of a damp, cold mess. <laughs> There is really very little salvageable here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's not even that enjoyable. Like Danielle mm-hmm. was saying, you have to work so hard to get the little grains of anything good. And getting through this was a slog. Mm-hmm. Possibly because of the dream logic style writing. Yeah. A lot of but the middle had... is very repetitious. Yeah, I definitely like, I don't like to get up unless I have to when, I, and when I'm reading the books because they're so short as well. They're quite easy to to read in like uh, less than an hour for me, and it's like I was all too eager to like put the book down to go get something to eat and to get the laundry out <laughs> of the machine, and I'm like, this is probably very telling, isn't it? Um, but we should uh, get down into the actual uh, yeah. meat and potatoes. Yeah. Uh, some content. Strong maybe- start. Yeah. Oh, wait, content warnings first. We do yes, have to do the content warning first. We do have there, to do that. There are a few of them. Um, yeah. Huge one for unreality. At no point during this book does Rachel know what is real and what isn't. Um, like, it, it's really a huge thing. Um, violence against animals, mostly rats. Kind of weird. Um, not like in a malicious way, but in a they're attacking me and I need to kill them way. Um, solitary confinement, uh, is described. It's not actively happening. Um, threat of suffocation, uh, gaslighting slash emotional manipulation is a huge one. Um, there's a almost a blink and you'll miss it bit of transphobia at the beginning. That is, can still do a lot to throw you out of things. Also a content warning for, like, suicide ideation, assisted suicide. We'll get there. Um, and just a fuck ton of sanism. Like we got in 22, I think, and in seven, almost as bad as 17. Um, 
just a lot of Rachel being like, no, I'm not crazy. I'm not a nut. I'm not one of those wackos kind of, you know, fucking thing. And uh, Rachel and David's descriptions of each other are rarely mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. Um, as this goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so we open uh, on the kids. So specifically like Jake, Marco, Cassie, and Rachel on a field trip to the White House. Uh, do they do that? Do Can school trips go to the White House? Yeah, generally not okay. from California. That does um, seem excessive. Yeah, but they do like they do do like tours of the White House. Like okay. that is a thing. Uh it's fucking wild. Um <laughs> Um But there there are a few clues right off that you know ping you as to like something isn't right here because one Marco is on this school trip. Um, when Marco has faked his death and should not be anywhere in public. Um, Tobias is also here, uh, flying around outside, which really begs the question as to, like, how to get here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and... Again, field trip from California to the White House is a little excessive. Like, that would be, that's like prime, extremely privileged private school field trip territory. Uh, like, I did, I did field, field trips and like things like that to like Orlando and fucking Atlanta once, uh, from Miami. And that was hella expensive. Uh, I don't even want to think what a cross-country flight, uh, and also lodging in D.C. and also all of these tours and shit would be, uh, that, that sounds heinous. Um, but, so they're on this trip. Rachel is giving kind of the rundown of what's going on, how she thinks that lately Maybe they should go public, uh, let the world know that Earth has been invaded. Um, and yeah, we get the throwaway mention about the big throwdown on an aircraft carrier and mm-hmm. an episode with some campers that went bad, mm-hmm. which is a heck of a way to describe the events of uh, that book. Uh huh. Like Jesus. Uh, but but the the point is that. It is getting harder and harder for the Yerks to keep absolutely everything under wraps, right? There are more small stories getting out and leaking to the internet um, that, you know, they're, they're buried to the last page and to, like, websites of conspiracy theories, but they're there. Um, and... Oh yeah, she looks out the window, she sees Tobias. Um, she describes him as his her best friend in the world, also kind of my boyfriend, the kind with feathers. The best kind of boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Danielle out here <laughs> like very right. <laughs> Which to be clear, they do deserve shout out. Like I I, I joke just because uh I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's my prerogative here. <laughs> Um, uh, and then Tobias gets fucking shot out of the sky by a dragon beam, um, without him having even a line of dialogue, uh, which, you know, I wouldn't necessarily put it past these books to do something that drastic, but it is a little much for a main character. Uh Uh-huh. Uh. And, uh. It, it, it immediately becomes apparent that the White House is under attack by the Yerks. Um, there's dragonfire going off, there's people bursting through doors, uh, and Jake tells them, uh, to, tells the Animorphs 
to basically split up and go battle morphs. Um, and there's an interaction here where Rachel is ready to, like, fucking go because Tobias got shot down. Um, and, uh, this interaction she has with Jake that is him being like, everybody slow down, looking pointedly at Rachel, uh, don't do anything stupid, looking pointedly at Rachel, uh, and, and in general kind of like pulling on the metaphorical leash that, you know, that, that, she kind of envisions him having on her. Yeah. Um, and uh, she hides behind a curtain and begins to morph Grizzly. Uh, and right as she's kind of starting the morph, um, a Secret Service agent kind of rips aside the curtain and is like, what are you doing? Quit fooling around. We're trying to save your life. Um, and Rachel kind of loses it. <laughs> I'd risked my life more times than I could count, fought every kind of monster the galaxy could muster, and he had the nerve to tell me to stop fooling around. Tobias was probably lying dead on the White House lawn, and this clown wanted me to stop fooling around. The, the guy didn't know beans about what was happening on his own watch. That's when it happened. Something snapped. Some spring inside me just went boing. Maybe when he was lying on the ground in ten pieces, he would figure out I hadn't been fooling around. I wanted blood. I could smell it. I could taste it. Was it the grizzly in me that wanted to kill, or was it the me in me? I didn't know, and I didn't want to know. I just wanted to take his face off. I snarled and reached out to slice him from head to toe. Um, And this is like the first time we've seen... Rachel be openly violent towards a human who isn't David. Um, like she, it, it's, I mean, it's described here as she has reached her limit. Uh, and past that limit, she starts hurting people indiscriminately. There is, like, I feel an interesting parallel with her. It being this, this being spoken down to by somebody that doesn't understand the sort of parallels Jake's frustrations with being spoken to like a child mm -hmm. as well. Like, because I, it is that whole thing, just like you, if you're having to do all these horrible things and then still be told on top of all of that, on top of all the stuff you've already internalized and are battling about yourself, then be told, mm, stop dicking around. Mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. When you already worry and people look at you and are scared that you enjoy what you do too much. Yeah. yeah. I, I can see how that would be the, the, like the, the straw. Yeah. Especially from like an adult that's supposed to be protecting others. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, bitch, where were you? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm a child doing this. You're an adult. Why aren't you protecting people? Yeah. Why do I have to do this? Yeah. Uh, there is a there's a brief aside here about the morphing process that fucking sent me. <laughs> because <laughs> let me tell you something: the people at Disney do not know squat about the reality of morphing. Not the people at Nickelodeon or the people at DreamWorks either. Your listener. You know what was already airing on Nickelodeon? <laughs> <laughs> when this book came out. <laughs> it is lovely because we do get this little preface with, because she's talking about being like this beautiful person turning into an animal. Mm -hmm. Like, and how if this was a Disney movie, it would be elegant and whimsical and beautiful to behold but watching this princess turn into an animal and I'm like just briefly thinking about brave and how I don't think it's all just like pretty lights swirling and then you're one mm -hmm. thing and the other thing mm -hmm. um, but yes the digger Nickelodeon <laughs> I did not know Nickelodeon was where the show aired um, uh -huh. but I saw Danielle's comment in our document and I was like oh well that's fun 
Uh, that's a little fun little meta humor, uh, which I do appreciate. Uh, but so she reaches out to attack the Secret Service person, uh, only to realize that she has not morphed claws yet, or much of anything in the way of natural weaponry. Um, and this is where, like, the, the moment of transphobia comes from, because she looks at herself in a mirror and looks not like, not quite like a girl, but very much not like an animal. Um, quoted, uh, a person with a serious hormone imbalance. Um, but, uh, oh, Arrow's getting very excited because he gets a good full part of it. Um, <laughs> I can hear, I can hear him doing his, his tippy cat thing down here. Um, but, so the, the Secret Service guy is like, yeah, okay, whatever, and just kind of yanks her out from the curtain, and then two hork come in, and Rachel has to finish morphing. Um, like, like the Secret Service dude, like, faces down these two hork with a gun. Um, meanwhile, she just, like, dip, duck, ducks back behind the curtain and, <laughs> and finishes morphing. Uh, you know, which is another point in the, in the dream. Hallie, because that's very, I was going to say very reckless, but this is Rachel we're talking about, um, because these hork saw her as a human. It's not like they don't have object permanence. They're going to know it's the same person. <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, so she morphs and then she goes and she fights these hork um, and uh, Rachel is reminded about what happened to Tobias and gets even angrier. Um, yeah, this sequence gets really gnarly. Yeah. Like, the level of violence is real extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, uh, you, it, you can feel very swept up in it. This is one of the moments where because, oh, to be fair, I didn't clock that this was a dream straight away at all. Like, mm-hmm. it's one of those things, like, when you know it's a dream, and then, oh, well, obviously that, and then that, mm-hmm. and then that, mm-hmm. and then that, clearly. But when you're first reading it, I'll give the credit, it's working at what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but once we have, um, there's, like, a visual of they're trying to get the president of the helicopter outside, mm-hmm. um, and these Hulkbergs are trying to pull it down. And one of them does a chin up and gets decapitated by a helicopter blade, which is some full on nineties slash eighties sci fi action horror bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel, stop watching these movies. Um, <laughs> but it does feel, but it does feel very American action movie in mm-hmm. tone, like the storming of the White House and all of this. Mm-hmm. But um, Rachel get meets up with the rest of the. Uh, and also after getting, um, she gets pulled off uh, a hawk bajir mm-hmm. by Marco, um, and is immediately sort of is so caught up in her own rage and that'd be winning that uh, getting kill steal <laughs> takes poorly to having her kill stealed. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but Rachel is immediately very combative with everybody like tries to attack Marco who pulled her off but he just shoves her off balance uh yells at um Cassie and Mark and right and Jake for like getting in the way and again another clue about is, is Jake being like preternaturally calm mm-hmm. because Jake is good in a crisis but he isn't like emotionlessly calm Mm-hmm. Even when we're getting him from other perspectives, you get moments of seeing him go quiet and things like that as he processes things. And it is just, you, you highlighted it really well on our notes. And when we get to the end of the dream sequence, I'd love for you to expand on that a bit. But just, he is this real contrasting point. He is the blue to Rachel's red mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. sequence. Um has Jake always been a Siberian tiger? Yes. Okay, cool. I was just looking for a second going, have we seen him? Why is this Siberian tiger? <laughs> um, 
because is this another dream logic thing? Because my brain always pictures Siberian tigers as white, even though that's a winter thing, not a year-round <laughs> thing. Uh, no, the the whites are always albinos. The winters they stay orange. Huh. I don't know shit about animals. <laughs> this is what I have, Danielle. <laughs> who, can, who can politely and sweetly correct me on my inaccuracies. I take the I piss you. out of them. They get to correct me in public and get away with it in a way that very few people are allowed to do. So. I got you. Podcast ho- co-host privileges. <laughs> um, but yeah, it escalates and escalates. Um, Rachel is bleeding out. This is part of why they're trying to stop her getting involved. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, you're too hurt. You need to demorph because you are going to die. And she just refused and she's ready to fight. And she keeps going to where the fight is. Um, but then for some reason, uh, she goes on like a little killing rampage. And then is just surrounded by Dead Hawk Bashir watching Taxon's retreat which might have been a clue in and of itself. And then we have this face-off between Rachel and Jake. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'd been like, I told you you were out. No one tells me I'm out. This is a team, Rachel, a team. Do you know what that means? And Rachel was fully ready to fight Jake. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and Rachel's fairly certain she'll win regardless. Um and we get the line, this used to be a team, Rachel, but you've turned it into a pack. Okay, have it your way. You want to lead the pack? You're going to have to fight me for control. I'll fight you. I answered Rage, making my voice thick. I'm happy to fight you. Thrilled. Uh, and we did have a moment earlier where she describes like the urge to bite him. Mm-hmm. For like telling her to back down, to, to step back from the fight. Um, but they do fight. And uh, it's very quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jake easily gets the upper hand. Um, and, and still in this sort of oddly calm way, Jake's like, you can't take me, Rachel. You're bigger, but you're not thinking clearly. Um, and she's still fighting in a way we have seen Rachel do before. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's just like, you're bleeding to death. Now demorph. Um, no, if you don't demorph, you'll die. Face it, Rachel. You've lost, you lost this fight before it started. It was his calmness that sent me further into a blinding, screaming, homicidal rage. He was so arrogant, so sure of his own superiority. I thrashed, I screamed, I roared, but he was right. I was losing. Cassie is begging her to morph, uh, and Marco, voice breaking, is telling her to morph, to not be stupid. Um, And we get this reflection from her that, she won't because she knows she would rather die than lose. I stare into the camera, very unhappy at that little line, dear listeners. Um, but she can feel blood like trickling down her cheek uh, to her neck, and the, it's the tickling sensation of that as she's sort of like everything's fading the black that she wakes up in bed screaming uh, with sweat dripping down her face as once again a nightmare has woken her from sleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so Let's talk about let's, this nightmare. Let, let's talk about this nightmare. Um, because on its own, you know, not thinking about the rest of the book, on its own it serves as an interesting insight into the struggles that Rachel is dealing with right now. Um. My thoughts, as I wrote in the doc, in no particular order. Jake represents the darkest part of Rachel in many ways. Um, because he's... Like, like I said, she views him as the one holding her leash. The one who tells her to do bad things. To protect the others. Um, the one who requires her to do bad things to protect the others. Um, and so, like, her fighting that is interesting. Um, her wanting to attack that is interesting. Um, her biggest fears, losing Tobias and losing herself. Um, 
obviously her losing Tobias is kind of the, the thing that sets off her rage in this one. Um, and remember that Tobias is kind of her tie to humanity and immediately as she loses him, she loses control of herself. Um, the continued dehumanization of the, of the Yerks, there's a moment in here where she like looks at the Hork-Bajir and, you know, tells the reader like, Ah, yes, the Hork-Bajir, who are normally a very peaceful people, and they just have Yerks in their brains, etc., etc. But right now, I didn't see a peaceful people who were enslaved. I saw enemies that I wanted to kill. Um, Rachel wanting open war, but as soon as it happens, it's fucking awful. Um, And, uh, most importantly, this intense anger at Jake and the idea that he gets to use her to do his dirty work and he gets to stay calm and collected and like human in many ways um and that that really is the part of the crux of her emotional conflict in this book is not just that the others use her to do their dirty work or rely on her to do the dirty work, I should say, because they're not necessarily, well, Jake does to an extent, but everyone else doesn't necessarily on purpose uh, do this to her. But this idea that the others look to her to do these things so that they don't have to, and then almost take the moral high ground about it. Um, like, they get to be normal, well, normal as for as much as the Animorphs can be. She, she is, feels extremely othered by everyone else, even to an extent more than Axe, more than Tobias, because she is the one who is so violent. Um, and, like, she resents that in a very palpable way. Like, how dare you ask me to do these things and then... Judge me for it. And then judge me for it. Exactly. Um. This, uh, also feels like weirdly prescient given when the book was written with the whole sort of state of and a certain attitude and it is mostly particularly of a white men in the online sphere online sphere of uh facts don't care about your feelings the freedom just like well if you don't get angry as soon as you're angry you've mm -hmm. lost the argument don't you know mm -hmm. um and that positing that as um the higher path as it were, um, just like, just feel like Rachel just like reminded me of the personification of how angry you feel when somebody tells you to calm down, the immediate mm -hmm. urge to just punch. Mm -hmm. um, emotional regulation, I don't know her. Um, <laughs> but how, when you are upset and angry, other people being calm can be the worst thing. Mm -hmm. Um, because it just makes you hyper aware of your own feelings even more, and mm -hmm. it's like feeling like you're overreacting. But I love this this headspace here for Rachel. Really does feel like the pinnacle of where we've been seeing her going. Mm -hmm. Um, because even when we're in other people's perspectives and getting that on Rachel, um, it's never as harsh on her as she is. Mm -hmm. with the odd momentary exception mm -hmm. um but because it's the nature of being a, a person i think and be a teenager feeling hyper aware of the judgment of others mm -hmm. um and reading more into it than there may be mm -hmm. um also uh shout out to my fellow believers in uh adhd rachel uh, rejection sensitivity disorder disorder here just, I'm just saying, it's compelling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but your heart aches for her. Yeah. 
Like, it really does. And one of the things that's really upsetting about this book, um, in a very sort of real way, is how isolated Rachel is. Mm-hmm. Like, we have these dream sequences where she's interacting with the other animals. We have a brief, presumably in reality, interaction with Cassie mm-hmm. that is heartbreaking in and of itself. If it's real, we don't know, especially. Uh, though I think it is. I think it's meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is so separate from the others. Mm-hmm. Partially her own fear is doing so, but also we've been in the others' heads and feeling like getting their perspective on Rachel. Because mm-hmm. I don't think she's entirely wrong. Yeah. Like, the others, it's different for all of them, the way they view Rachel and her capacity for violence. Mm-hmm. But they do see it, and they do acknowledge it, and they all have to reconcile with their own emotions about it. And Rachel sees that. Mm-hmm. And that's got to hurt, because, like, they're in this together. They're fucking five children and an alien who is also a child fighting this guerrilla war. And she's feeling even more alone in that group because of what she's having to do, mm-hmm. because of being good at the things that she is asked to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, we know, and it's appropriate that this is a David return when we think about like that moment in the third of the David trilogy where Jake is just like, get Rachel. Mm-hmm. Like, and those books are early in the series. Mm-hmm. It's just, she's established very early in the canon. Mm-hmm. That Rachel will be violent if they need it. And as long as they keep an eye on it, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we get uh, kind of mid to late in this book constant, almost flashbacks to that conversation she had with Jake in the hospital where she confronted him and was like, why, why did you say that? Why did you say get Rachel? What does that mean? And he finally lays it out. He's like, all right, you fucking want to know? It's because I think there's something dark inside you. And, uh, you know, I am afraid for what will happen to you when this war ends, because I don't think you can go back. And then she kind of turns on him and is like, and you think you can? And he just kind of is like, uh, I mean, probably not. Uh, but that, that particular kind of the, the put the spotlight on Rachel and there's you know there's a nuanced difference between that book and what we see here because that because that book was mostly about her accepting this role and this book is very much her being like okay I've accepted this role why are you all looking at me like that yeah why haven't you accepted me in this role Mm mm-hmm you asked me to be here, and so I went here. Why? Why? <laughs> um. Yeah. So. We cut to. There's a lot of like hard cuts in this book, which um, really kind of underscores the unreality of it. In the same way that when you're dreaming, suddenly things will be totally different and you won't realize until later that, like, there wasn't a transition there. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but we cut to, uh, the, the scoop. The scoop and the scoop and team scoop. Where, uh, Marco is at Axe's computer and Rachel is looking for Cassie. Um, and has looked in the barn and has now gone out to Axe's scoop in order to look for her there. 
Um, and the boys are like, you seem, is, is there something you want to talk about? Is there a reason you're looking for specifically Cassie? Um, and I, I like that she, she has this moment where she's like, Axe is an Andalite, um, technologically brilliant, but emotionally thick as a brick, or at least that's the assumption we go on. Don't ask me why, because it's usually Axe who, in his own strange way, seems to, who seems to understand what's going on beneath the surface. Um, which is Chef's Kiss. Um. Uh-huh. It's beautiful. Uh, Marco then, like, is kind of butting in himself. And Rachel's just like, yeah, there's nothing I wanted to talk about. And, and everyone just kind of, like, looks at her like, yeah, sure. Um, um, and she admits in her narration that, like, yeah, I do want to talk specifically to Cassie because of all of us, Cassie's the only one who might really be called sensitive. Marco, like Axe, is perceptive, but that's not the same thing as being sensitive. Which is very true. Um, uh-huh. Uh, and sh she reveals in her narration that she has been having the same nightmare over and over and over and over again of just her and Jake in uh, a showdown for leadership, um, which is extremely fucking reminiscent of the way that David went down, right? Is David became obsessed with this idea that if he could take down Jake, then he would become the leader of the Animorphs. Um, and, you know, Ra Rachel is thinking about Jake is our leader. I respect him. I don't always agree with his decisions, but he's in charge and I'm not. And that's the way I want it. Especially after my one disastrous attempt at playing general, when I stupidly let Cassie get captured by the Yurts. And she's like, so why am I having these dreams? Um. Marco finds something on the internet about uh, someone telling an account of an alien attack on a nuclear sub, basically alluding to the aircraft carrier thing. And Rachel is, like, excited to hear this. Um, and Marco, like, is, is like, why, why are you happy about this? This is terrible. And she's like, well, covert war sucks. It's a nasty, underground kind of thing that screws up your head. Look at what it's done to us. Look at the moral compromises we've had to make. You guys act like I'm some kind of psycho, but all I want is a fair fight, and you can't have a fair fight with an enemy that won't declare war. Um, And she's, like, just trying to defend herself, because at this point she feels like she expressed this kind of excitement at the war being open, and everybody instantly judges her, and so she feels extremely embarrassed. And, like, shameful. Um, and so she's trying to defend herself. Everybody kind of just looks at her like they know that she's lying. Um, and even Tobias is looking at her in her eyes like, sh like he's embarrassed for her. Um, and... Marco brings up, I don't think we should fool ourselves. If this war is exposed, we're out of it. Um, and Tobias is like, if the armed forces get involved, we'll be pushed aside like some kind of freak show. You know, kids who can do their own stupid pet tricks. And Marco's like, that's fine with me. I'm ready to be pushed aside. I'm ready to try normal again. Um, I'm living for the day we can hand this over to the people who know what they're doing and who actually like doing it. I say we've done pretty good for people who don't know what they're doing, I snapped. Silence. Three sets of eyes stared at me. Okay, four, because Axe has two sets of eyes. I felt my face turn hot and red. I knew what the nightmares were about. Why had I been trying to fool myself and pretend I didn't? I wasn't fooling anybody else. My deep, dark secret was like an elephant in the living room. A big purple one, with polka dots. Nobody talked about it, but everybody knew it was there. The secret was that whatever we'd been doing, I did like it. And the good guys aren't supposed to like it. Uh, I'm having feelings about the fucking morality purity vibes that are so prevalent in 
uh, fandom spaces these days mm-hmm. and how a certain generation, maybe also society as well, are taught to expect a certain level of purity from heroes mm-hmm. and how they uh, how a lead character needs to be flawless mm-hmm. and do no wrong otherwise they're a bad example or, or whatever mm-hmm. I just I have I need this is why characters like Rachel are interesting why they're all of the Animorphs are interesting even with Cassie's ham-fisted writing a lot of the time she is complicated she does struggle she makes mistakes none of them are like held up as being perfect people mm-hmm. they all struggle mm-hmm. ah. um, but that whole is of what a good guy is supposed to be yes um and this also, this is something we've talked about a little bit with regards to Jake and what a leader should be mm-hmm. and how they're children. And they, because of how, especially like the sort of stuff we engage with as children, mm-hmm. like the media that's written nominally for us, has much clearer cut lines between good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all having to reckon with learning that it isn't actually that clear-cut what it means to be a good guy. And we hear this from Rachel a lot, is that Mm -hmm. she wants to be one of the good guys. Mm -hmm. Like, she's desperate to be one of the good guys. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's heartbreaking, because she absolutely is. But she can't see herself that way because she is good at doing violence. Mm -hmm. And no, that's the I'm using that phrasing deliberately. Because yeah, she get let's say oh she she really likes she gets caught up in the moment. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of people in the world who enjoy fighting. That's why they do shit like MMA. Mm-hmm. Get Rachel into MMA, she'll have a hoot <laughs> of a time, much healthier. Um, and it's your heart. It's tragic in mm-hmm. its own different way to how the other kids are tragic characters. Uh, it's also meta. Mm. Uh, you you talking about like how the media we consume as children is often so black and white, and I'm here looking at and animals, then animals like, uh-huh. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's just what- I because obviously I don't. I imagine I'm trying to imagine like there had to have been some kind of outcry from parent groups about animorphs, right? No, did they there just wasn't. not read them? They, they didn't read, read them. them. They just saw yeah, the the, the quirky animal animal covers, and were uh-huh. like, "Yeah, that's that's just a weird." There were too many of them to read. They were coming out too fast to keep up with, and for the most part, parents didn't know what they were giving their. Ch- like you think about the way. I mean, part of it is because they were, like, they were popular, but not really. They weren't uh, like a a huge thing, like for instance, Harry Potter was. Harry Potter got so big um, that you know it got a lot of attention by like Christian fundamentalist groups who are then like, it's witchcraft. You can't read that. You know, whatever, burn it. You're gonna go to hell. Some bullshit, right? Um, whereas Animorphs was just like. Oh yeah, the weird books with kids turning into animals on the covers that are at the Scholastic Book Fair along with Goosebumps. And Goosebumps was way more popular. Um, and uh, Shout out to K.A. with their subversive book series. Just like, hey, let's teach kids about uh-huh. how war is bad uh-huh. and we should fight fascists and how being a good person isn't always being a nice person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, like, which isn't to say that it didn't get popular, because, like, it did, but But not... then it was too late! But then it was too late, right? Like, it got popular enough to get a TV series, for instance. Like, it it wasn't nothing. Like, fucking Transformer toys of them exist, right? Um, But 
it just, it never got the public scrutiny that, say, Harry Potter would get later. Um, part of that is because we didn't have so much internet. Um, like the internet was kind of just kind of beginning to make its way out of its, out of, out of the AOL dial up by the time these books were, were ending. Yeah. Um, I, I've watched a couple of video essays recently just talking about the phenomena of uh, Harry Potter as a franchise and its problems mm-hmm. and how it was actually quite unique because of when it was happening, mm-hmm. um, how it became this cultural zeitgeist. Like, there are other kids' book series that are like the one that easiestly comes to mind is Percy Jackson, mm-hmm. just off the top of my head, but I'm woefully out of touch with children's literature. And like, but it took until like, what, two years ago for Babysitter's Club to get a TV series. Mm-hmm. Shout out to that TV show. It's very good. Uh, as I said at the beginning of this very podcast, I was a Babysitter's, kid, babysitter's Club kid. Um, that was my scholastic book fair book. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, it's just interesting to me to think that you couldn't do this now. Mm-mm. Like people trying to do this get pushback like uh, i've seen that there's a great post doing the rounds about uh the hunger games at the mm-hmm. moment on tumblr mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just how prim was always gonna die the the first mm-hmm. book starts with katniss reaching out for prim and she isn't there and suzanne collins knew from the start said, oh yeah no she was always gonna die and just that willingness to engage with darker things and the mm-hmm. pushback these authors seem to get. Just like, oh, you can't do that in a children's book. Just like, bitch, yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. Kids they need understand. to learn. Yeah. Give they them a good fucking than... story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Treat them like, yes, they're developing minds. There are some things you maybe shouldn't go into details on, but they can, yeah, they can be upset by dark things and then they talk about it with you. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Like, like, like you're saying, Danielle. Kids understand more than people give them credit for, like a lot more. Mm-hmm. And they they are fucking sponges. Mm-hmm. You need to give them things to engage with. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you get a generation of people with no fucking liter- media literacy. <laughs> and that sucks for them. Mm-hmm. Like, ah. Animorphs is good, actually. <laughs> you may have noticed through this. Po- hey, Danielle, thanks mm-hmm. for getting me on this podcast with you, talking about this book series. I feel very enlightened and happy yeah. to have them now as a part of my life. Um, yeah. I, I'm, thank you for giving me the opportunity and also putting on the enabler hat. Uh, I do look good in this highs thing. You do. Um, <laughs> um, but yes, we know it. Granted, this book is not good. Um, so I am quite happy having these related discussions rather than breaking <laughs> down the nonsense plot as it goes on. But we should get back to the nonsense yes. plot. Yeah. yeah.